kind of feel like the word's already been given tonight. You know, I don't, I, there's no way that I can preach any better than what's already been preached because the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit has preached itself. I tell you, when you get into praise and worship, you know, you think you're doing it to honor the Lord, but I'm going to tell you something that honors yourself too because you just work yourself up into a happy state and knowing everything's going to be all right. That's a song. I believe that's a song too. Everything's going to be all right. I can't sing and won't even attempt to, but I do believe everything's going to be all right. You know, we're looking at this world, and and you would look at it, and you might be get worried, you might get distressed, or and you might even be nervous about what's going to happen. Uh, gas prices, food prices, everything like that. But I'm telling you right now, we who are children of God don't need to worry about any of it. What's that old saying? If a shirt went to, or, or to a dollar a sop, you'd get your 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 sop. Just as in the land of Goshen that where they were at, everything else was affected except for them. And that's the same way God's going to do us. It's a, uh, an honor to be up here. It's, uh, it seems like everything in the world went against me in the last day and a half. I felt dry. I felt something else. I, I felt anger. I felt mad. I felt good. I mean, a variety of uh, choices I could take, and I would hit on one of them somewhere along the line. But the devil tries to confuse you and tries to stir you up. He, know, he knows he can't keep you stirred up too long, but it's just enough to throw you off balance and he, he can win. But I say keep your eyes on Jesus, and that's where that perfect peace comes in. I don't, I don't want to have to take my eyes off of him and find myself drowning in a, uh, in a lake. I just want to be able to say walk to Jesus and let's just walk the rest of the way. I want him to be able to say my good and, and faithful servant enter in. But when the, when the Christians first got saved in, in Acts, let me read, read the scriptures right here, if, if you don't mind. I'm going to read it from uh, Acts 2nd chapter, starting with uh, verse 39. And it says, For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. You know, there's a lot of people, they believe that you... You don't need to have the uh, Holy Ghost to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you right now, it might not be a point of salvation, but it sure is a point that we need to uh, adhere to. We who are a Pentecostal church are lacking in our dedication and in, in, in seeking out the being baptized by the evidence of speaking in tongues as a denomination. It shouldn't be that way. We, we're Pentecostal. We ought to be leading the charge in this. We ought to be stirred up about who we are and why we are like what we are. Why, what, what did the, the first churches, the New Testament churches have that we seem to be lacking in some areas today? You know, that's, that's, what, that's what we're here. Something, we've, we hear about a revival over here. There was thousands upon thousands went to the Brownsville revival. Thousands of people. There were people at that Ashbury deal in Kentucky. There was people in uh, Toronto, and in, in, I think that Brown had a uh, revival going on. All these revivals, and lots of people tried to copy these revivals. You can't copy what God's got new and fresh for you each and every day. Well, our, our revival, and I do believe that Oak Grove Harvest Assembly of God is going to be in that Oak Grove Harvest Assembly of God 
revival, not, not somebody else's revival, but in our revival, if, if we stick here and stay together and don't cause harm to one another and stay in prayer and keep our, our, our eyes focused upon the Word and not upon the world where it's going, we're going to see a revival here that's going to knock people down when they pass through the doors or when they pull up in the parking lot. They're going to see flashing lights and wonder what's going on and pull in and get saved. You know why? Because we're going to take on the characteristics of a New Testament church to where even 3,000 were added when they got saved. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people in Fred, Texas getting saved? I can because that's that many people out there in them little side roads and everywhere else you want to go to. There's a lot of people in this area that you don't ever see sometimes. I want to see it. I want to be able to be that New Testament church where we're, we're seeking out Jesus so strong that they're going to ask us, what is it about you that you're doing? And then we have that opportunity to tell them about Christ. But if a lot of people are afraid, they're, they're disturbed about things that's going on. And let me finish reading these scriptures. And with many other words did they testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in, in prayers. In verse 40, it, it talked about, Verse 4, he talked about it, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. And that's what I was saying. Well, ago, everywhere you look, they, they're trying to bring evil into what was once good. They try to saturate our schoolhouses and our, and our classrooms with a doctrine. It's not a curriculum. It's a doctrine. It's not something that you just sit and say, okay, this would be good for their minds to figure out. They're looking to see this is how we can change their minds and, and, and conform them into what we want them to be, and then we'll send them back home to mom and daddy. They're not looking to, to uh, put children in school so that they can have reasonable thoughts to themselves and decide what way they need to go, but they're indoctrinating your children, your grandchildren, in some kind of uh, uh, a doctrine or some kind of a curriculum that would change from who God is to something else. They want them kids to believe that there is no God. Now, we may be fortunate here in this area to, to have teachers that are still Christians. But are we sure? We need to be wise in everything that we say and do. We need to be wise in when we send our children what they're studying why they're studying it, we need to take an active part in what they're doing, not just go up there and trust the school board or the school people to, okay, I'm handing my kid over to you for eight hours. Do what you want with him. You need to know what's going on. So toward this untoward, no one can be spiritually saved and have a relationship with God if they do not turn away from and refuse to participate in corrupt activities of the present society. You can't say that you're a Christian and then go against everything God says is right. But there's a lot of people trying to live a double, a double life. 
They, they, when they leave from here, they do what they want to do, how it pleases them and everything else. But then they'll come to church and they're real, hey, brother, hey, sister, and all of this. But how do they live when they get out in the street? How do they live when they get home? How do they live when they get in the supermarket or wherever else they might go? However they might want to. Well, we're just going to a club. We're not really drinking, but we just want to go in listen to the music. What kind of music are they going to play in a club that you need to hear? Huh? What kind of activities is going on in those clubs? Well, it's just me and my wife, and we're dancing, but what if somebody comes up and wants to dance with your wife? Well, I tell them not to. What if they persist? Now you're in a fight to protect your wife's honor because you went to a place you shouldn't have been to to start with. We're just hanging around the bonfire. We're not drinking. We're just hanging around the bonfire with people that are drinking. And I don't care who you are. If you've been around people that drink and you're not drinking, they ain't the kind of people you want to be around. You're just, I, I, I don't care. A drunk is a drunk. And when they get drunk, they're not pleasant people to be around if you're not. You don't need to associate with that. You don't need to have any part of it at all. If they want to get saved, then they need to come on out of hell and and get where you're at. They need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm telling you, you can talk to yourself till you're blue in the face, and if somebody is not ready to give up their sinful ways, they're not going to give them up. I'm an example of all of that. I'm an example of not wanting to give up my drinking. I believed in God, but I didn't really, if I went to church, it was very seldom if I did, and it wasn't going with the intention of getting saved. It was just because I was going to please my mama or somebody else. But when I got to that point where I was being sick and tired of being sick and tired, I knew if I could get to a church, I could find help because I was raised up in a church. So we need to make sure that we're raising our kids to come up in church. And if they do depart from us, go to the side for a while, they will at least know who Christ Jesus is and that they still have a home if they will come on back to it. You know, that prodigal father, he didn't run out to, he didn't just run to the end of the road every day. He sat and he waited on that boy to come. He didn't go search for him. He didn't send servants to search for him. But he sat there waiting for that son to come back. He sat there and waited for that son to come back. And when that son come back, he welcomed him in. That's the same way that Jesus will welcome you in. That's the same way that he welcomed me in. He didn't cast me to the side and throw me to to the heap, but he put his arms around me and just, he took all of the other things away from me that was bad and just washed my, I don't know how you would call it. All my cells were individually washed. Not one of them was missed. And it took a period of two or three weeks because I was pretty dirty. But the Lord had mercy upon me, and when they would do it, it would call to remembrance something in, that had happened, and I could get rid of it. And that was one more burden out of the way. And then there would be another burden that would be out of the way. And I would get happier and happier and. People would run from me because I wanted to talk about Jesus. 
They didn't want to hear what I had to say because it was all about Jesus. And I said, well, y'all talk about y'all's bass boat. Why can't I talk about Jesus? You know, is your bass boat God or is it what? But we got to pull ourselves away from those sinful practices. And I, I say sinful practices. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. None. That's what it is, sinful practices. It's not, it's not, it's, it's against God. We have to get to the point where we hate sin as much as God hates sin. We're going to see that revival. We're going to have to hate sin more than, than we, we hate it right now. I'm telling you, right now we tolerate it. We tolerate sin because we love our youngins. We tolerate sin because, well, he, he, he'll change a little bit. I, just got, I can't just kick him out. I don't know if he was maybe six or seven years old, you'd get in trouble if you kicked him out, but you ought to be able to spank him at that age. And that's another thing. There's not enough spankings going on. I'm not talking about beatings, but I'm talking about some spankings. While they're young, when they get older, you might figure out a different way to hit them, maybe take their car keys away from them or something. Cell phones, there you go, brother. But we really have to, if we're going to be spiritually saved and have a relationship with God, then we, we need to turn away from everything that is a sin or it's a, it's a, a heavy weight toward God that it just upsets him. New Christians should be taught to break off sinful relationships. Sometimes when you first get saved, everything that you do is not quite kosher. It's not quite up to par with living for God. And sometimes it takes a little walk with a, a new Christian to get to that point where he's where he needs to be. But just as a baby, I use this as an analogy, so don't get mad at me. But just as a baby poops in his pants, sometimes a new Christian does the same thing spiritually. Now, you don't go whooping that baby because he pooped in his pants. That's what a baby does. So we can expect out of a new Christian some things that they're doing that's not quite right, but we who are in Christ have to have a way with discernment, compassion, non-judgmental way, approach that individual and try to mentor them into the right way of living for God. If we, do, if we don't do that, that's like when you had children, did y'all childproof y'all's house? Okay, everybody here took a chance. <laughs> Maybe if he lives, we'll we'll get another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if they're unaware of what is going on, it's not wrong, then it's up to us to tell them, and we should. We got to give up ungodly practices alright when is this thing over at 8.30 I won't never get through maybe brother Scott will let me teach it one day or something it says give up ungodly practices and unite themselves in Christ and his people and devote themselves to God's purposes that's what God has called us to do. He didn't call you to come in here and sit in these pews right here. If you 
when you leave here and that's got your perfect indentation of your rear end sitting in it, you need to change seats so people can know that you ain't moved none. Because we need to be up and about the master's business. Not sitting down on some stool to do nothing, as Sister Doris used to say. But get up and do something. Brother Scott says if you if you find yourself in a position or you find yourself in a, a time when things seem to be just dead in your life, he said, well, try to get up and do something different. Move. That might stir you up. It might change how you feel. Don't just sit there and wallow in your self-pity. It might take a while to find it, but don't give up. Just because the devil knocks you down, get back up. You're not defeated until you won't get up. But let me tell you something. I got a big brother in Jesus Christ. And when the devil gets to picking on me more than he ought to, then I go tell my big brother and then he just whoops his rear end. Because my Jesus looks out after me. He said, fear not, for I've overcome the world. If he overcome the world, everything that's coming at me is defeated already. I said, you defeated, you defeated. You're defeated because Jesus shed his blood on Calvary. He's defeated because he loved us enough to go to the cross. Everything in this world that comes against us is defeated because Jesus loved us enough to go to a cross, resurrected from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now in obedience to what the Father asked him to do. Psalms 51 says, needs a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's what we need to walk around with, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. I don't mean down in the mully grubs where you just drug down. I'm talking about with a broken heart with a desire to be fed with the word of God. A hunger and thirst to have that contrite spirit and that broken heart that you don't you know that you need more of God than you've ever had before because He is the one who can heal you. He is the one that can lift you up. He's the one that can put you in the place of perfect peace. That's my God. The world's God is government. The world's God is educational institutions that declare that they know better than what we know. They're educated, and I know that some of y'all are more educated than I, college degrees, this and that, but there's some of y'all in here that are like me. We got, we got, saved, we got saved at the high school level. But let me tell you something. Our sister said something the other day. There's intelligence and then there's wisdom. Intelligence is enough to get you in trouble. Wisdom will keep you out of it. Because there is nothing more dangerous than an educated fool. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling you. Nothing more dangerous. And, mm. and there's nothing more powerful than... Ooh, I ain't gonna say okay. Nothing more powerful. <laughs> well, I was gonna say there's nothing more powerful than stupid people in large numbers, but but it's the truth. 
But if we're going to be a New Testament church, and I'm, I'm, I'll see where I'm about through. If we're going to be a New Testament church, we're going to have to do as they did with the apostles. They adhered to what the apostles said because the apostles had mostly a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, like touch you, hold you, go to a fish fry with you, ask you if you're going to feed my sheep. Jesus, the apostles, had all of this credentials. That, yeah, we touched Jesus. We touched him. And that gives some credence to what they, what they were saying in their epistles as they wrote them that had become books of the Bible. As they heard them then and they finally put them to pen sometime or another. But by telling this one and telling that and breaking bread in house churches and opening up and opening up your house to, to a group of people to come on in and you would worship and talk about Jesus and talk about what the doctrine said. What did Paul write? What letter did he send? What did they want us to do? They were right there with it happening. Many churches today desire to pattern themselves after a New Testament church in hopes of experiencing the same power, growth, and effectiveness that it had had. And this passage gives a general overview of the things that gave the New Testament church the ability to experience God's miraculous power. And remarkably, these things were quite plain and practical. Now, if I was going further than this, I would tell you about the 16 characteristics of a New Testament church. But I do not have that time to, to do that. But first of all, we need to study the apostles' teachings which is this right here. We need to study this. The first Christians were deeply devoted to the Christ's message, and for that reason, they paid close attention to those who had been directly commissioned by Jesus to deliver his original message. And as a result of their deep hunger for God's word, and early Christians were spiritually nourished, grew strong in their faith, and they were word-centered church. That's why if you're coming to a church, be a Bible-believing church before you step in. If you step in a church, you're on vacation, you're just somewhere, and you see a church, let's just try that one. And you step in, and you right off the bat, you don't start hearing anything about the Word, but about programs and this and that. Might need to find another church. Because if they're not going to preach the Bible, but what we can do show-wise that show wise is going to burn up. Don't you? And another area that they were good at was that they were united in love and purpose. They were a relation building church. That's why we're up here on Tuesday, prayer meeting, so we can come up here and pray for people and eat. I'm, I'm serious. They, they broke bread. That was important. That's what it said in the Bible. It said that they broke bread. I mean, that's biblical. That ain't nothing again. it. God's got every calorie taken out that we take in on his purposes. Yes. It's in the Bible. I'm going to eat me another piece. But when we eat another piece, let's eat another piece of Jesus. Let's eat another piece of his word in our mouths. 
so that when we speak, we speak with compassion and love toward one another. He didn't say eat till you gorge yourself, but you take, get a taste. But let me tell you something. When we start eating of Jesus, there's something that comes over us. When we felt the change a while ago, sometimes you just got to knock long enough. Sometimes you've got to just get down into it and, let, and, and not let anybody bother you where you sit, stand, or what. Sometimes you'll see me sitting there, but it's because my back's killing me. And then I can still concentrate, and when I don't, I'll stand up and God will do the rest. And you ask, well, why don't you get that fixed? Well, when I get my front side fixed, then I'll change the back side. God's not going to try to heal you if you keep doing stuff, pouring milk down your car and telling, telling God my car messed up. And God said, don't put no more milk in it, you know. So that is all I've got. No, it ain't all I've got, but that's all I've got time for. But I want to tell you, I, I've enjoyed tonight, not so much what I, I've told y'all, but I'm telling you, I felt that change. I felt that change, and I needed to find something today. I needed to find something today. Well, I'm going to dismiss unless anybody's got something they want to say. All right. Stand and I'll dismiss us. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you tonight, oh God. And Lord, we just thank you for everything that you've done and said for us. And Lord, you let your Shekinah glory just fall upon us today, oh God. You let it rain and you let it flood, oh God. And Lord, I'm so appreciative of that because, God, I needed it. And Lord, I thank you for taking control and, Lord, and giving this, uh, uh, giving this time and a place, Lord, to glorify and honor you. And Lord, we do that in your name, in Jesus Christ. Amen.